0: Hello, everyone. In today's episode, I interview Harrison Hines from Consensus's Token Foundry. um, And it's a good episode. We chat about both where the token market's going in 2018, and because Harrison's read so many white papers, thousands of white papers, we chat about tips for writing them. And with that, enjoy today's episode with Harrison. Hello, everyone. My name is Reese Lindmark, and you're listening to another episode of Creating a Humanist Blockchain Future. In this podcast, we take a systems thinking approach to doing good in the world, and we have a couple different series that focus on different system scopes. And today, we're focusing on Series C, Software Systems, where we ask the question what kind of systems are we building in code? And today, I'm very happy to introduce Harrison Hines to the show. Harrison is the head of Token Foundry, an initiative within Consensus to help projects launch token sales. Harrison, thanks for being on the show, and welcome. No problem, thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to dive in. Um, So I guess before we go deep diving, could you give us kind of like a high-level overview about um, Token Foundry? Sure.
1: Um, So Token Foundry is building a platform to support um, the token ecosystem. Uh, So our goal is to help projects create, uh, launch, and manage... Uh, sound utility tokens so focusing a lot on the token design itself but also a large focus on the actual way these tokens are being sold and making sure that the structures uh, of the sales are very safe and
0: fair and regulatory like and legally sound. Got it so pretty much anything for anybody that's doing a token sale both on the crypto economic side and on the legal side um, and on the financial side, making sure that everything is essentially as best practice as possible. Is that kind of right?
1: Yeah. And I, I think, you know, uh, part of it is for the issuers of the tokens, but also for contributors to these projects. Um, you know, the goal is sort of two sided to help the issuers do things the right way. Um, and, set them up for kind of long-term success uh, and then also help bring more transparency and kind of best practices and standards to these tokens and token sales to help better protect contributors uh, and hopefully attract more contributors to the ecosystem.
0: Got it. Yeah, so I guess that kind of leads into maybe, you know, the reason and the why for Token Foundry right now, how do you kind of see the ecosystem generally right now and what is kind of needed and, and how does Token Foundry kind of, um, hoping to solve some of those issues? Um, sure. So I'd say, uh,
1: my background sort of, uh, helped lead me to this, uh, previously, um, I was very early and helped build an equity crowd crowdfunding platform called SeedInvest. Yep. Uh, and so I lived through the whole Jobs Act and equity crowdfunding becoming a thing. Uh, and I realized the importance. There was a lot of platforms and uh, just like different players who popped up early in the space, um, and not all of them were necessarily doing things. The right way, or you know, kind of the best way. Uh, So, last year when token sales first were kind of coming into existence or becoming a real thing, uh, I quickly realized that uh, there was going to need to be some sort of uh, improvement or standards or best practices that were implemented. Because as we've seen over the past several months or most of this year, it's kind of been the wild west and the current way that token sales are being done is, um, you know, uh, not ideal. And there's a lot of uh, things that are wrong about the current structures in terms of just like... uh, contributors not really having any protection and these projects really not having any repercussions if they don't deliver on what they promised in their white paper or what they essentially are raising all this uh money for um so yeah it became very clear to me uh that there would need to be some sort of uh structure uh and maturity brought to the industry and the whole token ecosystem. So I thought uh, there was a real opportunity to lead that
0: initiative and try to become the standard. got it, so could you talk a little bit more about what you see that standard looking like? Um, how do you protect the contributors? How do you kind of help the issuers, you know, abide by these best practices? What are those best practices kind of and standards look like? So, it's constantly
1: evolving, um, just because the space is moving so quickly. Um, So, I'd say part of and what guided our thinking maybe a few months ago has maybe changed a little bit recently. Uh, There have been some fairly strong comments by the SEC uh, chairman in terms of uh, tokens and token sales specifically. So uh, what we right now we are kind of uh, doing a reset and trying to come up with a better uh, sales structure standard. And what's leading that new structure is really trying to alleviate some of the concerns that we feel uh, regulators are most uh, or feel are most problematic about the way things are being done now. So at the very top of that list is just protecting unsoph- unsophisticated and sort of retail contributors to these token sales and token projects. So uh, what that's a bit of like a multifaceted uh, problem and there's many ways to solve it, um, but things like uh, trying to move away from some of these uh, like ridiculous pre-sale structures or getting rid of pre-sales completely, potentially, is one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, building in some sort of uh, like um, protection against those proceeds post-token sale, as I mentioned in the beginning, to ensure that if the project doesn't deliver, or maybe you could milestone out the proceeds based on certain Time, uh, like uh, unlock, or on actual milestone-driven, uh, like mm-hmm. schedule based on the platform going live or a certain number of users being signed up. Thank you very much. Um, so, those are certain ways you could do it. You could also uh, implement, you know, some of the other things that they don't necessarily love right now are uh, the fact that maybe most of the tokens are being bought by speculators. Uh, so you could solve that in a few ways, like maybe put in contribution maximums or uh, you know, make the uh, contributor to the token sale kind of prove in some way uh, that they actually are purchasing this token for its utility, uh, not just to speculate. Um, one other big problem is uh, we feel that the trading of these tokens pre-platform launch is is problematic. So, easy things like making the tokens non-transferable until some event, like the platform going live, is an easy way to like alleviate that concern. And other little things like actually having like a minimum thresholds for uh, the sale being considered a success. So this way, if you launch a token sale and let's say you only raise, you know, a few hundred thousand. Uh, which is, and the project's trying to raise, let's say, 15 million, uh, that those people who committed the few hundred thousand don't just get left kind of in the dust, that you set some sort of just minimum threshold so everyone knows, like, okay, if you don't raise, let's say, a minimum of three million, then the sale is considered a failure and everyone gets refunded. Um, Or at least you give them sort of the option to have a refund of some sort. So uh, we're still working on a few ideas and kind of prioritizing what we feel is, is most critical to solve. Um, but yeah, those are some of the things where we're kind of implementing into the sales we, we, we start doing again in, in Q1.
0: Got it, yeah. I think that that, I mean, and as you say, there are a lot of different perspectives that you're coming at it from. One is like the classic SEC perspective um, and how much they've been kind of pushing some some statements these days that are more like, hey, let's get a little bit more transparent, let's get a little bit more um, reasonable here. And then second, all these kind of if-then statements of this, hey... If there's um, actual impact, then you know, then and, and, and after the actual, if the if the protocol itself goes live, then the, can, the the people who are making it can actually get some of that money. I feel like a lot of those things are powerful, and you start to see some of that like self-imposed. I'm reminded of like the block stack um, token sale, where I think they have these kind of milestones that are set up for themselves that give them that. Um, and it also reminds me, I really like the the other if then there that you said is, hey, if there's a um, um, if the platform's not live, then you can't trade it. Um, and so having that as another good if-then statement makes sense. This stuff also reminds me a lot of, um, especially like the minimum threshold side of thing. reminds me of the Truebit and Vitalik interactive coin offerings um, article. Have you read that one, by the way? And did it inform your thinking here?
1: Um, it didn't. I read it uh, back when it came out. But um, I read... So many papers, yeah, yeah. I'd be lying if I said I remember yeah, well, uh, exactly. the full
0: details, yeah. but I, I understand on a high level what they were trying to do, yeah. And it sounds very similar honestly to what you guys are trying to do here, where it's like, hey, um, and, and and there specifically is talking about this kind of back and forth between the people who are the, the contributors and the issuers and this kind of back and forth and then making an actual dialogue there instead of this kind of one-time, one-off experience. So I think that's powerful. Is there anything else? Um, on your mind as you think about kind of the token sale and ICO space, and kind of what what if you were thinking like a year from now or six months from now, what would you want to see as kind of a mature, good um, ecosystem here? What what would that need to what what would that need to look like for you?
1: Um, sure, it's uh, a good question. So, I think live DApps would definitely be a a, a, a good just thing for the ecosystem uh and seeing maybe how that impacts uh just factors like i don't know the token uh itself how much it's used the adoption of some of those DApps. uh a lot of interesting things i think that we'll see happen as some of these bigger ones go live in the next few months uh yeah. so that'll be exciting um The other thing I think in 6 to 12 months that's um, going to be interesting to see how it plays out is the security token space. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely think security tokens uh, will become a thing and maybe eventually be the much larger piece of the pie in terms of tokens when it's all said and done. Um, And I think a lot of the tokens that... Or projects that are issuing utility tokens right now probably should just be issuing security tokens. But everyone's just trying to come up with a clever way to say that you know they have a utility token, so they could skate regulation and take advantage of token mania. But the markets definitely changed uh, very drastically. I'd say very quickly. So uh, you know, whereas three months ago it might have been a lot easier to just have a decent white paper and a decent team and get away with raising uh, several million dollars. Uh, I think the number of projects who, you know, are able to have a successful token sale and raise money is going down uh, substantially, uh, which is good. It means the market's getting smarter. Um, But so then when you kind of, um, when things come Back to normal, which maybe it's not there yet, but it seems like we're heading in a direction uh, that's at least more normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like the the like you know trying to get creative and and clever to come up with a utility token, the draw to do that, if you know people are much smarter about like understanding really the utility behind these tokens and how it operates within their network or their DAP or however, and can really kind of understand better if it's necessary or not, or kind of, you know, if what they're building actually is super valuable or unique, um, you know, then I think you might start to see more projects opt to just go the security token route. The problem with the security token route right now is Um, A, you kind of have to um, work within current legislation, and from equity crowdfunding, I could tell you that uh, the reason I don't think that space has really taken off uh, is because the regulatory uh, framework isn't very friendly to issuers. Mm -hmm. It's burdensome. You kind of have to limit it to accredited investors. Everyone has to accredit themselves. Like, if you want to do bigger fundraisers like Regulation A+, plus, you have to like audit all your financials, there's reporting requirements, and it like costs a lot of money and there's a lot of time. It's just not that efficient. So um, for the security token space to really take off, I do think you could potentially work within the current regulatory framework, but maybe they come up with some sort of new regulation T for token or something <laughs> that would be really cool and uh, would allow security tokens to really have uh, uh, um, like an impact and uh, um, like a place within this ecosystem. But the other problem is the secondary liquidity, because exchanges won't like crypto exchanges won't pick up security tokens because mm-hmm. you can't tra- you can't trade securities unless you're regulated, um, and decentralized exchanges just don't have the volume and the liquidity yet. So the problem with security tokens is. You know they're they're not freely tradable uh from just a regulatory standpoint so um if these exchanges like t0 or templum or there's probably going to be half a dozen or a dozen that pop up next in 2018 but if some of those can actually launch and prove that you could trade these security tokens in like a pretty easy way and like you know uh like good environment in terms of liquidity and mm-hmm. like uh, user experience and stuff like that, then I do see that that industry would quickly
0: take hold and take off. So that's what I'd like to see happen in the next six to twelve months. Yeah, that makes sense. And I feel like the on the security token side, it's that it, it, there's this co-evolution thing happening between the the government and the SEC, and then the the people who are working with issuers themselves and things like T zero on the exchange side. So I guess going deeper on the, the tokens there and the, the non-security tokens, you read a lot of white papers, you look at a lot of projects who are looking to um, you know, be part of consensus or be part of uh, get into token foundry or what have you. Um, could you give kind of like a high level like what do you what are some of the biggest errors that you see in you know, white papers these days um, as uh, you know as a way to help those these budding entrepreneurs who are trying to work in the blockchain ecosystem?
1: Um, Well, I think the biggest problem with white papers is they're, like, very inefficient. Um, I mean, I just think there's a way better way to, uh, like, get information to people who are interested in your project besides, like, a 30 or 40 page paper that describes everything and um, they're... I mean, writing a very good and easy-to-digest technical white paper is very hard, Um, but then just actually for some of these projects that might be doing something extremely cool, being able to distill, like, what you're doing down into layman terms so someone can very quickly, like, grasp what it is that you're doing or why it's unique or why it's cool and what the protocol actually is and what the token actually does or how it fits within that system and kind of just being able to quickly just be like ah okay like I understand all of this Um, I never I rarely go through a white paper and get a good understanding of all of that Um, so I think in general just like how we uh, present information and organize it for these projects maybe a white paper isn't necessarily the
0: best approach Um, but do you have by the way a quick a quick question on that something that I always kind of recommend to people when I read their white papers is add more visuals or add more and, and I think this might be my own bias in projecting out into the world but like having visuals and having kind of like the system design or whatever it's like you, you, people can type in in words what's happening, but it's like once I see a visual for how like the crypto economic system works, I'm like, oh, that's so beautiful. Do you, do you have that that bias as well, or do you, do you agree with me there? Uh, yeah, so
1: that's actually part of the, the new platform we're, we're hoping to launch uh, in, well, hopefully February 1. Um, part of the focus, besides just new sales structures, is better ways to, uh, uh, present information about projects to people who are interested because mm-hmm. you might have a few different people who are interested in learning about the project it could be a user it could be just someone like in the industry is very technical it could just be someone who might be interested in you know purchasing your token um, so yes I agree that like maybe there's a technical white paper that's just very like you know, traditional uh, blockchain crypto-type white paper that's just all, like, just words and Mm -hmm. nothing fancy or, you know, right. But then, like, have some sort of more, like, pitch deck or, you know, presentation deck-type document or overview document that is more visual. And for someone who just wants to be like, okay, I want to learn about this project give me a two page sort of executive summary or you know overview presentation of like what it actually is and what it does and it could be very visual um hopefully majority visual um so yeah it's just maybe I don't want to read your whole white paper I just want to read that to even understand if I want to spend time reading your white paper so we are we are thinking through like how to best structure like Maybe there's just a short paper about the, like a project overview. Maybe there's one specifically about the protocol and the token. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's one specifically about the token sale itself, um, and just break it down into you know digestible, uh, like bite-sized,
0: uh, like pieces of information. Yep, yep. I like that, and I think. Yeah, kind of bucketing the different parts of that white paper, because right now there's essentially no like white paper standard or what have you. Um, on kind of the token side of this, how do you how do you think about and when you're reading either white papers or whatever the the team send along to you, how do you conceptualize of like utility value and when you're looking at, you know, tokens, how do you say like, hey, this token is really well used for its utility value? What makes you really feel like that's true? Um It's kind of I'd
1: say gut, um, because you don't, none of these, besides like like Bitcoin and Ether, none of these other like sort of new token models have actually been tested in the wild. Mm -hmm. So even if you think something is really great, like you don't actually know. And I mean, as an entrepreneur and someone who works in, tech uh, your assumptions are usually wrong Uh, and like the data always ends up guiding your your like ultimate product or thinking or kind of assumption so until we really have some good data on whether like uh, token curated registry works, or you know prediction markets or you know something like the gnosis token model which you know on a high level when I, when I think through it, it sounds very good and I like it, but like, how does that actually translate into like usage and, and kind of how that all those economics and the incentive system within their platform, um, how does it all play out? Um, so I do think, um, uh, like, uh, part of what I look for is, you know, a token that, actually has a need or is necessary i think is pretty important um where you know what it's used for couldn't be easily replaced with like just bitcoin or ether and not really have much of a negative impact on the system or uh the players within the system um in terms of incentives uh i definitely like Things that are more on the simple side, uh, like some sometimes people try to make their token do everything. But I think just focusing on like one critical area of your platform and having it function in that capacity could end up being um, like better. But yeah, it's kind of uh, I think the token like sort of design or like crypto economics is that side of the ecosystem is maturing a bit Mm -hmm. but it's maturing without actually seeing if any of the like initial good (laughs) concepts people have thought up uh even work so it's uh that's i'm interested uh to going back to what i'd like to see over the next six to 12 months part of these dApps going live or protocols going live one thing i'm very interested to see is actually how those tokens um uh and those models people have come up with play out because I'm sure there are going to be a few fatal mistakes
0: that are uncovered along the way. So. Yep, yep. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. There's. Yeah. And and yeah. The, whether it's the token curated registries or, as you said, the you know the Nosis uh, two two token model, it's like, hey, when those things go live or anything goes live, it's like, well, we'll see what happens when this is actually a real incentive game out there in the world and can people break it, and, and what does that look like on the test net when people are testing it, and what does it look like when it's live, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see those crypto economics actually live in the world, um, and, yeah. and both for the ups and the downs from <laughs> The downs from purely from a, a Sean Freud kind of perspective. Um, in any case, uh, my final question here is, what um, what do you think about, so you why know, Combinator has this like, requests for startups uh, thing, where they say, hey, here are the kind of startups that we're looking for. Clearly, you can apply with anything you want, um, but here are some things that we're thinking about and we'd love to see. Is there anything like that for you these days, um, but on it wouldn't be called like a request for startups. It'd be like a request for a protocol or a request for a utility. Um, are there things that you kind of want to see um, in the ecosystem?
1: Um, definitely. Uh, it's There's definitely things we discuss internally or just... Think uh, in terms of what type of projects we want to uh, bring on board or work with. Um, we don't send out a request, but it definitely guides our thinking and sort of the projects we speak with or uh, actively go out and try to engage with. Because, um, you know, there's a ton of inbound requests you'll always get, but, you know, some of the better projects. Uh, are ones where you are just doing research and uh, just having a finger on the pulse of new projects coming up. And and if you know what you're looking for, it becomes easier, especially if you talk to enough people in the space to know who might be working on something interesting in that sort of realm. Um, And also in the position we're in, you know, we also uh, have somewhat of a... Uh, uh, not a responsibility, but uh, are conscious of what the market wants. Uh, because, you know, if you're working with projects and with this platform, you're sort of uh, growing an ecosystem and community of contributors to these projects. If you're putting out projects or working with projects and putting them on on the platform uh, and these Contributors are looking for token sales, and what you're putting up is not really what they're looking for, not what the market likes right now. uh, Then that's not really an effective model. So, um, yeah, just in general, you know, I think right now uh, there's a much like there's much more interest still in uh, like infrastructure and protocol layer uh, projects. You know, I think people understand that. We're still building the track. So for any of these dApps to even work on top of an Ethereum um, or, you know, they're going to need some of these scaling solutions to actually work and and launch. And I think there are probably many other just uh, foundational layer or just scaling uh, type solutions or more uh, infrastructure layer solutions. Uh, um, protocols that um, probably still are out there. Um, so those are ones I look for. Um, but yeah, uh, if, if there's a cool DAP or something, we will definitely still consider it.
0: Yep, that makes sense. Like so there are there are specific you know protocols and utilities that you're thinking about and that you guys talk about internally. And in general, a lot of things that you're interested in these days are stuff at the infrastructure layer, at the protocol layer, as, you know, still building that, that rail out there, although we want to live in this beautiful new future. It's like, hey, in order to do that, we still got to work on a lot of these kind of infrastructure projects to make that happen. Um, cool. Well, Harrison, thank you so much again for your time today. Um, yeah, it was fun chatting and going into uh, token sales with you.
1: Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. It was uh, great chatting with you, and uh, um, look forward to... Uh, keeping up to date on your show
0: nice sweet um well (laughs) everybody thank you for listening um if you want to you can go to tokenfoundry.io um to kind of uh to to learn more about token foundry and or hit up some people at consensus to to learn more about token foundry um and if you want to support me you can go to patreon.com slash that's patreon.com slash r-h-y-s-l-i-n-d-m-a-r-k okay thank you everybody and goodbye